Welcome to episode, wow, wait for it, 100. The double aught, the Robert Parrish episode. <laughs> Tell me more. Robert Parrish, former Celtic center, they called him the chief. He was in there with Bird and McHale and those great Celtics teams of the 80s. And Robert Parrish wore good old number double zero. Mm, I got gotcha. you. September 10th, 2018, we kicked off this little, I'll call it an experiment. I, I watched... I studied to see if you'd get into this or not. I, I think you found your rhythm. I think we both have. I, I enjoy it. You're one of my favorite people on the planet. Well, thank you. This is my I enjoy one way you to, as well. This is one of my ways to corner you and have you all to myself <laughs> for at least a half an hour. Boy, we've got an episode for you. Chuck uh, found us a diamond in the rough, so to speak. David Magley, the former South Bend LaSalle star, 1978 Mr. Basketball in the state of Indiana. Well, he runs a new basketball league called the basketball league and we'll talk to him about that they're having a big tryout tomorrow over at south bend washington plus you're going to get to hear some great stories he is a wonderful storyteller yeah this is the kind of guy if you can get up next to him around a fire on a summer night and just plant the seed of where you want to go and let him roll yep yeah uh let's talk about the nba real quick last night Toronto wins game one of the NBA playoffs, 118-109. Got some great play out of their power forward there. You've got the name in front of you there. Pascal Sayakam, (laughs) which I thought was a cable company when you first said it this morning. Did I say that right? No. Uh, Close. Sayakam? Sayakam. Sayakam? Yeah. Out of New Mexico State. Well, he plays for the Raptors now, and he's got 32 points and eight rebounds last night. So they win game one, 118-109. Drake was all over Draymond I can't stand Green. His music, oh, I cannot stand it. The kids like him, as in mine. Yeah, I I can't stand his music. And well, if he puts as much effort into the music as he does on trolling the Golden State Warriors, he'd be in great shape. Ugh, my goodness. So uh, Raptors win Game One, and Game Two is coming up on Sunday night in Canada. Stanley Cup Finals. Tied at one as uh, St. Louis won the other night in overtime by a count of 3-2 on a Carl Gustafson overtime goal. So they will play Saturday night in the Gateway City to the West. Series tied at one. I still like Boston in that series to win it. I'm rooting for the Blues because, well, other than the musical group, I can't stand Boston. (laughs) I have tried to stay away from the White Sox, but you keep telling me how hot they are. I want to see for myself. Two below 500 now. My goodness. Jose Abreu, three RBI and a homer last night. They spanked Cleveland by a count of 10 to 4. They're actually playing some entertaining baseball over on the south side. Cubs were idle last night. They start a big three-game set in St. Louis tonight, and the Tigers were idle and should stay that way. I tell you what, Kyle Hendricks is becoming my guy. You just like his mannerisms. I like his mannerisms. I like to walk in the hallway like him when he comes off the mound, like I'm thinking about something very, very important, and I can't be bothered. The thing I like about him is he's not one of these guys that throws 98, throws more like 89, but he locates the ball exactly where he wants to. And they they talked about this the other night in the ESPN broadcast. 
the fact that he is one of the few people anymore that throws the two-seam fastball. Corey, the two-seam fastball is the sinking fastball. Okay. And so he induces a lot of ground balls, gets a lot of ground outs because of the movement that he gets on his pitch. Three years ago, 2016, when he had that great year, pitched Game 7 of the World Series, he threw that pitch probably about 60% of the time. He backed off of that in 2017, 2018, wasn't as good. So he's going back to it more now in 2019 and having more success. I've noticed the difference between him and other pitchers. When a ball gets hit over his head, he is very slow to turn around. He's just like, okay, let's deal with this, and then yeah. on to the next pitch where some kind of whip around real fast to see what's about to happen and drop an F-bomb for TV, <laughs> you know. Uh, we're looking at an August game. for. We have double birthdays in August. Mm-hmm. I'm on the 18th. The 21-year-old's on the 23rd. Ah. The Nationals play an early afternoon game. And my son's already back in school. Really? On the 23rd. Like, well, he's the already twi- there a couple of weeks. The 23rd actually. is opening night of high school football season, Pally. <laughs> it's really? Yeah. Oh, August 23rd. Uh, well, I'll be there in spirit. No, you won't. No, you're right. I won't. Uh, South Bend Cubs lost yesterday to Lake County 5-1, their second straight morning game. It is the first series home loss that they've had this year. So now uh, the fighting Joe Hart's go on the road here. It's a big weekend of high school sports. Let, let's just for a moment give a salute to Bremen's Erin Koffel, the Indiana Gatorade Player of the Year. She's batting 691 on the softball diamond, 17 home runs. She set the IHSA career state high school record for homers. And oh, by the way, she's only a junior, so she'll have time to add to her own record over the course of the next year. Bremen is in the semi-state tomorrow, as is Penn. I say semi-state tomorrow. That's weather permitting. Got baseball sectionals tomorrow. Boys track and field state finals are tonight. Girls track and field state finals are tomorrow. And the high school boys golf sectionals are today. So it is one of not the busiest weekend of high school sports on the year, which is a, a perfect segue into... Our guest today, because he is a former South Bend High School star. They're playing basketball. We love that basketball. They're playing basketball. Well, we are thrilled here on our 100th episode of Sports Jack today to bring in a very special guest, the president of the Basketball League, uh, an organization holding a combine here in South Bend tomorrow over at Washington High School. But a lot of you probably know him as the Mr. Basketball from South Bend LaSalle in 1978, Dave Magley, back in town. And great to see you. Tell me about how the Basketball League even came to be. Well, Chuck, I was I was um, commissioner of a professional league in Canada called the NBL Canada, which is a really great league. And and um, but I was living there, and, and and my wife was in Indiana, and I just wanted to come home. So you know, the year before I I, I partnered with a different guy and started a league, and and that didn't work out so well. So we decided that it was time to do something different. And quite frankly, my, my wife was just praying about it, and the, the, the ending of that, we weren't real happy with how that was ending. And my wife was kind of in the bathroom praying about things, and 
you know, it's like three o'clock in the morning. She 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 felt a, she heard a voice from 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 somewhere else, and it was like, "Do you trust me?" And she said, "Yeah," and she, and then the voice said, um, "Start your own league." And it was actually me behind the door, but she didn't know it. <laughs> but, no, she uh, she then came and proceeded to wake me up. Just just her just she was like downloading information in her head. She was so excited. And, she said, you know, I think we should start our own league, and, and I'll be the president, and I'll be the CEO, and you can work for me, which was a whole another concept. I never thought I'd, she'd be my boss. But then she proceeded to tell me, and, and, I, and then she doesn't have to pay me, which was even more exciting. And her story is that we stayed up all night talking about it. My story was, can we talk about this about 7 in the morning? Can I go back to sleep? <laughs> but I think we did get excited about the concept of really letting her be in charge not because I was doing a good or bad job, but you know her vision is really about community. Mm-hmm. And when you think about it from a business standpoint, we have more interest from people wanting to put their names on our polo shirts than our jerseys because our polo shirts go into the into the schools, they go into the the, the rec centers, they go into things. You know when a when a when a, a, a six foot nine black guy with a blonde full hawk walks into St. Joe High School in Michigan. And kids are going, who, who is that and why is he here? Oh, he's the local pro basketball player. Why is he here? Well, because you're that important. You're that important to talk about value of education or, or dangers of drugs and alcohol or, or self-worth or, 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 or bullying or the things that we can deliver a message that maybe even parents and teachers struggle to do. So her whole focus was, do, can we deliver this message of, of hope and really teach our young men how to use celebrity beyond, beyond self? Because the you know the, the 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 quiet secret is most athletes are only taught how to how to serve themselves. So we want to be a pro athlete because the girls come with it and the money comes with it and the benefits and the, but we're not teaching these guys the true blessing of being able to give back and and and, and give a more fulfilled, rich experience in, in in pro athletics. And with that, we think we have a, a greater opportunity to succeed as a business because corporations want to support that. I want my brand attached to somebody that's going to impact lives. So two things. Number one, how do you find athletes in general? And then number two, how do you find athletes that fit in with the mission that you're trying to do? Because that's not every athlete. Well, that's a, that's, that's a great question. If I was in the oil business, I'd want to live in Saudi Arabia. If I'm going to be in professional basketball, I'm going to live in the United States of America. There is literally hundreds of thousands of players that are qualified as athletes to play at this level. There are guys that are everything from IUSB and Bethel and Goshen and Grace and 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 uh, to, to to Valpo and Purdue and IU and I mean just just the sheer numbers of it. But there's Glen Oaks Community College kids that are that maybe didn't get to four to a four year school. There's just so much talent that's capable of playing and entertaining. Part of the reason we do. We, we, we find these kids, we go around to these, these tryout combines, one we're doing at, at South Bend, Washington tomorrow from 10 to 3. And when you watch these kids play, we get a chance to see who they are as people. How do they compete in the drills? How do they compete in half court? How do they compete in full court? How do they interact with us? And you start getting a, a, a vibe on who they are. And it's, for me, I, I've never been fans of, of, of agents' films. They'll send me highlight tapes when I was a, a coach in Canada before I became the commissioner. I get thousands of highlight tapes. Well, nobody ever misses a shot. It's amazing. It's like this guy just sent me a three-minute mixtape of dunks and highlight. I can't tell if he can play. I don't know how good the guys he's playing against. I don't know how many missed shots he did. I don't know how he defends. So I watch these guys for five hours, and I get a real read on who they are. 
I do every trial event. I'll do 25 or 30 of them across the country because it's important to me that one set of eyes sees everybody. It's only fair that we have the same standards we're looking at all the way. What I like may be different than what you like or you like. But for me, I look for very specific things as a player. And then do I like them as a person? My wife goes to a lot of them. Do these guys walk up to her and introduce themselves? Have they done the homework to meet my wife? It's funny because some of them will get excited when they see her. She's the first female. She's the first African-American to own a pro sports league. So they get excited when they see her. And, the, you know, how they carry themselves means I could probably translate that into something. So that's kind of how we do it. Once we pick the teams, everybody goes through a, a background check. Okay. You do not have to be perfect to be in our league. You can have, you can have, you know, you can have a conviction in your background. It just does not keep you from having a second chance. But we want to know who you are. Can we put you in the schools? Can we, if you've been involved with the child, then there's nothing we can do for you. We can't help you. But if you've got, you know, a drug conviction when you were 16, do you need to throw your life away for that? You have a violent deal that something happened when you were 18 or 19. You know, what, 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 what was the cause of that? Drugs, alcohol, you know, can we help a kid get a second chance? And so we're, we're not afraid of that, but we want to know who we're dealing with. So those are the kind of the qualifiers of what we're trying to do. Dave, I can tell by the way you're looking at me. Yes, I do have eligibility. Um, I've got some mad skills. If I'm trying out tomorrow, am I trying out for a South Bend team or a possible somewhere within your league where you're going to have other teams? So you have you have a, you have a, several things in that statement. Number one, um, I absolutely was thinking. I bet this guy has game. Oh yeah, I think that that uh, that, that you'd be a wonderful. Uh, player at our level, it would be very interesting to watch you play. Uh, or at least interesting is a good word. Um, but no, it's, it's I'm looking for the entire league, but we are looking strongly to bring a team to South Bend. Okay. And again, there is a financial component to this league. This is professional. Because we have pro baseball, we use the term minor, you know, minor league baseball. But you know, who would argue that AAA baseball is the next best level in the world? But if you go to Japan, you're a pro. But if you're in AAA baseball, you're playing in the minor leagues. Right. So it's a little different language. If our league was in Europe, we'd be pro B or pro C. We wouldn't be considered minor or semi. So we're going to pay every player. If we can save money by not housing you, then that's an option. So if we have a team in the greater Michiana area, then we might look at you and go, you know what? Uh, he's good. Maybe the kid from, from Louisville's better, but maybe not. And I like your personality better. And he can stay at home factors in you know the more local guys you can get the more you save money every sure. little thing adds up every you know the entire budget to own a team and operate it is, is less than one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. so every thousand every five every ten everything every little dime you can save makes a lot of sense so if we can build it the right way we think we've got a model that can be profitable and you know the, we, we take those things into consideration would you be playing at a high school gym? Where where would your games be played if you had a franchise in South? Well, that's a that's a that's a great that's a great point. I, I know I know you went to Northside, which is a, a I mean went, went went to Elkhart Central, which played in Northside. Yeah, that that would be a great gym. We have some wonderful gyms in South. And LaSalle High School would be a great gym. That's probably not used that much. Um, colleges are good. Because they've got a 94-50 floor. They've got sure. a longer court, and we play NBA rules. With the exception of we do have the FIBA offensive-defensive goaltending rule. Once okay. the ball hits the rim, it's live. You can knock it off or dunk it back in. Um, so, you know, those are, those are factors. For us, area, town, who are we trying to, who are trying to in, you know, impact? 
who can support it financially the best. Those are all factors that come in. Being in Indiana, you just have so many options because of the high school gyms. We were at the Wigwam about a month ago in Anderson, yeah. and you know it's not used for anything anymore. And they're rebuilding it, and I don't know when it's going to be ready, but it would be perfect for 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 our level. You know, they could they could bring in a group of guys, and you know we could we need between seven hundred to a thousand fans to make money at a game. We don't need yeah. thousands of people. But we won't play at King Center. We won't play at a rec center. Right. I guess it's called Charles Black Center now. We won't play at my brother's gym at Heroes Camp because, number one, my brother wouldn't let me because it's, <laughs> he would never transact money in that because it's, it's, for him it's more about the, the ministry. But even then, it's not, it's not the look of pro. We want to make right. certain that all of our teams wear the same brand uniform. You know, the look is that it's a professional look. And, and you can get that done at a high school gym in Indiana. What's the schedule, Dave? Uh, once this thing fires up, what what time of the year are you playing? So, so we we start training camp in January. Okay, season starts around February first. Season ends. Regular season will end around the end of April, and then the playoffs will go into May. So we'll have you know uh, we'll, we'll play a, this year. We'll play a twenty four game season with probably eight to ten uh, playoff games you can get to. Um, our last two games of the year. We're in, the, we're in the finals, the best of three series. Yakima, Washington drew 5,000 fans. And then the championship game was in Albany, New York, which drew 2,500 fans, which that's all that gym could seat. Sure. So we're, you know, we're, 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 we're getting that type of groundswell of support and growth. And I think that makes a big difference. Where's home base for you? I live in, in, in Indianapolis. I live oh, in Louisville, okay. Which is, I never thought I'd live in Indiana. You know, I graduated from South Bend LaSalle High School, went to Kansas and and, you know, when you can say you're a bad player in multiple languages, it's time to give up playing. And I, <laughs> I played in Belgium and Spain and a lot of different places, and I played in the NBA for them for, long, for the Cavs long enough for them to realize they made a gross error in judgment drafting me so high. But then I, I just lived in different places around the country. And our children moved to Indiana for business, ironically, to Indianapolis. And when we went to Canada, it just made sense for us to have a home in Indiana so it could be around the grandbabies. Yeah. And that's kind of how that, that, that filtered in. And we moved here for that. Now we're in you know, the basketball capital of the world, so we're perfect for what we're doing. Man, there's, there's all kinds of meat from that last answer that I'm going to dig into here. First of all, let's start about South Bend LaSalle. Played there three years under the legendary George Griffith. I can still see him stomping the sideline with that cowboy boot on. Your boy Mark Johnson, one of his assistant coaches, still coaching over at St. Joe High School now on the varsity level. Talk about the LaSalle experience because, to me, Dave, that was kind of a golden age of South Bend basketball. The year you graduated, all five South Bend public schools finished above 500 in boys' basketball. Well, that's, that's, that, that was, and we barely did. I mean, we had yeah. a great team that, that, we had a good team that gelled. We lost a great player to academic eligibility, and and our guys gelled. You know that was a time before busing. That was a time when the local school anchored the community. Yes. So, you know, we could lose Bendix, but we still had LaSalle basketball. We could go watch. We could we could have a st- difficult time in, in in the economy. Notre Dame could be good or bad. It didn't matter to us because three thousand people were going to watch South Bend LaSalle high school basketball, and. You know, I remember the first time I walked into the to a gym to watch my brothers play at LaSalle. I just thought this is the coolest thing ever. I didn't dream about playing in the NBA. I wanted to be a lion. I wanted to run through the hoop. I wanted to touch as high as I could on the court. And I wanted to play in front of my high school classmates. That's all I really cared about. And 
And I was fortunate because I played with so many unselfish guys. You know, our my junior year, we had seven guys that played a lot of minutes. All of them went on to play college basketball. My next year, our second best player, Donnie Gandy, would end up being ineligible, end up at Oklahoma, was a great player. And we had a couple guys that went on to play college, but they were guys that hadn't played much. Like, we had so many seniors that were so good the year before. All that left was some guys that didn't get much burn. And when Donnie went down, you know, Griff said, who's going who's gonna to make up his 25 points a game? And I, being quiet, was waiting, and I was hoping I could maybe take a couple extra. And when nobody said anything, I'm like, well, I'm good for 23 more if you need me. And I averaged in the 40s the rest of the season. And, and But when you do that, it's not because you're a great player. You've got to be good, there's no doubt. But you've got to play with unselfish guys. You know, I had to play with a predominantly black team that let this white guy be the man because they just wanted to win. And if, if I scored 47 and the team had 50, they didn't care because they only wanted to win. That made me artificially better than I probably was because I played with so many great unselfish guys. And, and kudos to Coach Griff who could get guys to buy into that because that's a, that's a concept that's foreign on today's kids. You very rarely find that many kids that just want to win so bad. They don't care who the star is. And I just happened to be in the right place at the right time and got to be that. How much did your mother's cancer and her death while you were in high school toughen you up and affect you as a player and as a person? Well, I think it, I think it, it, it gives you a perspective. You know, my mother, um, my, my mother uh, was, before she got sick, she was, you know, 5'8", 200 pounds, a lot of woman, uh, rebounded basketball, jet black hair, beautiful bright white teeth. And, you know, her last year of her life, she was in a wheelchair, 60 pounds, no hair, no teeth. But when I would say, how can God do that to you? She would say, you don't understand. I was told that I would die in three months, and you're going to make it to be a man. I've lived three and a half years with this, and I'm going to get to see you be a man. I get to see my baby. And her perspective was, I beat cancer because I got to see my baby grow up. And then I'd say, but why did you have to lose all the dignity a woman could lose? And she'd get excited and say, that's the best part. The best part is you'll never go through anything worse than this. And I can go home to be with my father in heaven, who she was assured was going to happen. No questions in her mind. She knew where she was going. And, and, and know that I've prepared you for anything that's ever going to happen. Nothing will ever be worse than this. Forty years later, nothing's been worse. I mean, we've been through some tough times at times. Nothing like my mom. And that does toughen you up from that perspective. The other thing is when, when I lost my mom, I became the rallying point for the family. I'm the baby. Everybody's going, what, what do we do now? Mom is gone. We go to watch the sound. So here are brothers and sisters. My mother had 11 brothers and sisters. They come out. My cousins come out. Magley's army was crazy at the games. I mean, you'd look up and there'd be all these people cheering for me. And, and the better I played, it seemed like the bigger the smiles were. So the more I did well, the more I was not just serving self. I was giving somebody else a distraction. So for me, it was almost a blessing to go through what I went through in a weird way. Would I love my mom back? Man, every day I wish she could see my babies. I wish she could see my grandchildren. She'd be so proud of my wife. She would be in love with my wife. She would be like, you know, in a, in a weird way, my wife is a lot like my mom. My mom wasn't black and my mom wasn't smoking hot like my wife is. <laughs> but she had the same spirit tenderness, loves her kids, loves me, just everything. She, she reminded me of my mom. My mom would be crazy about her. So, you know, from that perspective, that was kind of how my mom fit into everything that year. Cleveland Cavaliers. 
I'm going to assume, even though you said earlier you wanted to be a lion and that was it, did you have your eye on the NBA like certain players that you admired, but then came a time where you'd be playing against them? Did that happen? Yes. I mean, actually, um, I, I grew up, you know, I'm kind of a Walter Mitty if you're old enough to know who that is. And yeah. he's a guy, he's an old character that always dreamed of being something that he wasn't. So yes. when, when I would play on the park at, at Coquiller Park, at, at West Haven Park on the west side of South Bend by myself, you could see me talking, and they're like, oh, there goes that Magley boy talking to himself again. And I'm like, yeah, I fake up, and I take Dr. J in, and I dunk on Dr. J, and I shoot a jumper around Jerry West, and I go by Oscar Robertson. In my mind, I played a whole game every day against these guys. And and then as I got older, I remember I was in the NBA, and, and Dr. J came in a locker room. Most of my stories in the NBA are locker room stories because I never got on the court. But I was in, <laughs> I was in the locker room as a shoot-around, and Dr. J walked in. He's like, hey, kid, do you have any soda in here? I want some caffeine. And I'm like, no, Dr. Chapstick, which was it was a commercial he was doing at that time. He's like, I can't believe you just called me Dr. Chapstick. But I've got some change. Let me go buy you a soda. So I went out, and I'm like, you know, trying to get what I, – I didn't know what he wanted, so I bought like six different flavors, whatever you want. Here you go. Here you go, Doc. And after the game, I hadn't gotten in. And it was the, one of the rare times – again, when I was with the Cavs, we were really bad. We were like – like my, my brother said, we were 4-48 and when I got cut. And my brother said, David, Cleveland's 4-48 is that the worst record in the history of the NBA? I said, yeah, Billy, I think that is. He goes, and they just cut you. Does that make you the worst player on that team? (laughs) I said, Bill, what are you getting at? In case my friends would ask, are you the worst player in the history of the NBA? Which I got that going for me, which is nice. (laughs) But I'm walking out after the game with with Dr. J, and he he puts his arm around me. He goes, big fella, hang in there. I'm a little taller than him. Hang in there. You know, I talked to Billy Cunningham. He thinks you got a game. You know, so I'm feeling really good about myself. And there's Way at the top of the balcony is this little black kid looks like Webster, cutest little kid in the world. Webster's an old TV character, and he looks down and goes, hey, Dr. J, you're the greatest player that ever lived. And he waves, and those big hands are so he's waving. It's like wind is blowing my hair back because his hands are so big when he waves at the kid. And, hey, Magley, and I wave at it, point at the kid. He goes, I can't wait till they cut your sorry behind. <laughs> so, needless to say, kind of build me up to – just shoot me right in the gut. And then afterwards, I came out, and I'd taken a shower. My hair was wet, and my, had my glasses on. And the kid's like, mister, can I have an autograph? Autograph. And I started chasing that I couldn't catch him. That's probably why I couldn't stay in the league longer. I'd beat that little kid up. But, no, that was, that was you know, it's just playing at Cleveland and against Dr. J and against Larry Bird and against, like, Michael Jordan's first game in college was against us when I was at Kansas. Who knew he would be? They called him Mike, and he wore really short shorts. He ended up being pretty good. I mean, not bad. I had twenty four. He had twelve. But I wear Air Jordan. He doesn't wear Ground Magley. So <laughs> <laughs> it didn't work out quite as my plans were at the time. My man over here is fascinated by recruiting. You've had four four D one athletes from your kids. You and your wife were both D one athletes. Talk about your recruiting experience when you were playing at LaSalle. I mean, Bob Knight's coaching IU. I'm sure I know he was after you. Uh, but you wind up going with Ted Owens at Kansas. What was your recruiting like? Well, it, it, it's, it's with my mom being so ill that we made a rule no one could call us after 10 o'clock. Um, we, I, I could only talk to one coach a day because you were getting so many calls. Griff was really involved, and that was back when the high school coach had a lot more play. There was no AAU coaches. Right. So, Griff was the one that kept sanity in our family because people were trying to get my brother's attention and my father's attention. And, you know, it was really Griff was the one thinning a lot of that stuff out. Um, 
and then you know you, you obviously know my Bob Knight story, which I won't go into that. But the 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 the, the Kansas thing was, you know, I, I I go out to Kansas on my recruiting trip, and they said you can go to the um to the uh, to the Beach Boy concert with with Paul Mokeski, or you could go to a jazz concert with Darnell Valentine. Well, you know, I go to LaSalle. My, those guys on my team would probably beat me up if I chose to go to a Beach Boys concert over a jazz concert with the with the McDonald's All American. So I go out with Darnell, and they and they fix me up with the smoking hot girl, and and I'm like I'm 17 and she's 20, and I've never seen a girl that pretty before, and and, and she's African American, and I'm like wow, you know, and I'm trying to lay it on my rap, you know, my mom's sick, I haven't had any physical affection in years. Who does that? Who uses a mom's illness to try to get with a girl? <laughs> And then, and then I get uh, that she tells me she has some Indian, which I lied to her and told her I was half Cherokee. It was dark. I got a big nose. She doesn't know. So at like four in the morning, she invites me up to her room and says, I want to share something with you. And I'm like, wow, she's really formal. Whatever sharing means, I can't wait to have that share with me. And, and she has this black thing, and it's, and it's in leather, and she unzips it, and it's a book, and it doesn't have any pictures to color in, so I don't know what it is. And it's a Bible. And and. She's going to share verses to take back to my poor dying mom. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this woman doesn't know what I'm thinking. And and then because I'm a minority and I don't seem to embrace it, here's some verses about being a minority. I'm like, oh, gosh, that's, I'm not even Indian. <laughs> with, with about 7 in the morning, I got a kiss on the cheek goodbye, got off the plane. And when I got to Indiana, my brother Bill picked me up at the airport and said, how'd it go? I said, man, I don't know where I'm going to school, but I guarantee you I found my wife. So I met my wife on my recruiting trip. And I knew I would marry her the day I met her. I never met anyone that pretty, that pure, had that had that pure of spirit and mind, and and it really was like that. And then, you know, the other stuff, the Bobby Knight stuff, was was interesting. Well, my friend here has not heard the Bob Knight story, and I did write it down. Okay, well, I am curious. So, so, so again, our rule was anybody that was more than twenty minutes late to see me, I went home. Actually, I would probably hitchhike to Memorial Hospital. Because every day after school, we practiced, and I went to the hospital to see my mom. Then I'd hitchhike home. I mean, different days. And you wouldn't think about hitchhiking today, but it's just how we got around. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and Coach Knight is late. I mean, he's 30 minutes late, 40 minutes late, an hour late. And he shows up about two hours late. And I'm sitting there talking to Griffin in LaSalle's gym, and I'm like, I don't even want to go to IU. What am I going to talk to him about? He goes, well, I don't know. Ask him why so many guys quit his team. He had just lost Mike Midday, Rich Valabacious, Tommy Baker. He had several guys transfer that year, and you know it seemed like a fair question. Well, again, I'm 17. He's Bob Knight. I don't know that he's angry when he walks in, but you really ought to just assume he's always angry. <laughs> so he walks in, and he, and he goes, before you get started, do I, before I get started, do you have any questions about Indiana University? Should have asked about the business school. Should have asked about anything. But I said, um, yeah, wh- why are so many guys quitting your team? And he used language on me. It was like the old Harmon Carden uh, ad where the guy's sitting in front of the, the, the speaker and his hair is blowing back. <laughs> That's what it felt like the way he was screaming at me. And you're not effing good enough. And you're nothing but a long-haired drug user, which I don't know how he knew that. And he kept just beating me up with this with this stuff. And it seemed like 20 minutes. It was probably three minutes. And I said, Coach, listen, time out. I can go to college. I can go, I can go home and hear that from my father any day of the week. I don't need to go to college to hear that. You'll never be any good. I appreciate your opinion, but, and I leave. 
Then I get six months later, it's 1978 Indiana High School, Mr. Basketball, David Magley. Little article, Knight says Magley doesn't deserve Mr. Basketball. So he goes on the record saying I wasn't good enough. It should go to a kid that stays in state. I got long hair. I might use drugs. Things that was just like unbelievable. Then we play the All-Star game, and, and I'm not very good in the All-Star game. I, it really was a great All-Star team, and, and, and I just – it was like I was had such a great season, and then I just let down, and without my mom and without people to – you know, and my, and my family, God love them, wanted to encourage me, probably hurt me more than helped me because they were allowing me to be pity, you know, to be coaches don't like you, you know, to give you that negative energy. And so I didn't fight through that very good. And in and, and, and the All-Star game, Knight made a comment on TV that – yeah, see, the reason I said that is look at him. He's pouting. He's mad every time he comes up. Things that were true, but accentuated by him. So right. four years later, we're going to the Garden, and we play against Chris Mullins in a double overtime game, and I play every minute of the game. And Indiana plays Villanova against Eddie Pickney. And so the next night, we're going to play them. And, it's, and it's, 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 it's Randy Whitman. It's Ted Kitchell. You know, those guys that just won a national championship, Jimmy Black. I mean, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Thomas. And they picked up um, – Uwe Blob and, and Dan Dockich and some other guys right. like that were on the team. And so I'm like, oh, my gosh, best man-to-man team in the world. And they hate me because I didn't go to IU. <laughs> and this is their night's going to – he'll lose if he, he doesn't care as long as he shuts me down. So I see him before the game, and I'm like, hey, coach, you know, David Magley. He goes, I know who you are. And I'm going, well, uh, how's, how's, how's Landon? Landon turned and got in a car accident. He was paralyzed. And he goes, Mags, it's, uh, he's never going to walk again. But we're going to take care of him. He's going to be okay. We got him a van. He's going to graduate. You know, things that really made him human to me, and we, right. we could speak. I get the ball out. First play of the game, I whip it around my back. It goes off Randy Whitman. It goes off Uwe Bob's foot. I pick it up, take the ball out, right around right around Coach Knight, and he goes, that hot dog stuff wouldn't work at IU. I look down on him and said, what did he say? Get it in, get it back, square up against Randy, and go between my legs and hit my foot. There's no way you're good enough to come to IU. And he just rips me the entire game. With eight minutes to go in the game, I've got eight points. We're up by eight. And I'm thinking, we get a timeout. If we can hold on and win, and I get two more points, they're having a parade in South Bend. Uh, <laughs> I'm going home with conquering hero. I beat IU, baby. And I get to the bench, and JoJo White, who was a famous Boston Celtic, yeah. went in the Hall of Fame, died last year of cancer, um, was our assistant coach. And Joe says, listen, we're going to shut night up. What does that mean? He said, nobody's shooting the rest of the game but Big Macs. I'm like, wait a minute. I got the green light. No matter what I do, you can't take me out. Is that right? I said, yep, but you only get it one time. You'll never get it again if you mess it up. I'm all right. I get the ball, and I bring it up the court between my legs, and I look at night, and I said, it's about to be a long day for you, coach. He uses an expletive, and I <laughs> I replied it back to him, and and then I hit a, a jump shot on Ted Kitchell from about an NBA three, and I said, Coach, he's too he's too slow to guard me. Went by him, I said, I told you he's too slow. He put Randy Whitman on me, Coach, he's too small, and I got twenty four in the last eight minutes of the game. I had my career high. We won. I had thirty two. Knight walked into the press conference, says, I've got nothing to say, but I hate that sob, David Magley. So <laughs> it was. Uh, the greatest moment of my career was a chance to just make Coach Knight so infuriated that he'd he'd hate me forever. So that's that's my Bob Knight story. But um, it was, uh, you know, and, and years later he would actually quasi recruit my son to Texas Tech. Hmm. And believe it or not, I think if you survive him, you're a better person for it. So I could never say a bad word about his X's and O's. And while I don't agree with the coaching style, I believe today 
Kids don't care what you know until they know that you care. And having had four kids that were all college athletes, I never liked coaches calling my kids out of their names. I don't see why we would allow coaches to use language that we would fire professors for. Right. They're educators just like them. How are they not? Well, it's athletics. This is how you have to motivate. No, you don't. Love is a stronger motivator than fear. And it's in basketball, which is a short muscle sport, if you can't, long muscle sport, if you can't be relaxed and play, I don't know how you can play at, 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 at a highest level. I had a great senior year because there wasn't much of a bench behind me and I was going to play a lot. Those are things that once you're relaxed and can play, I think you, you I'm the worst coach you'll ever meet, but I've had a lot of wins because I, I understand kids. I just let them play. And, and I don't pull kids out from mistakes, and, and it has been pretty successful. Everybody knows the athletic side. You were academic All-State. You were academic All-Big 8. You were the Big 8 Student Athlete of the Year. Is that what helped you become such an entrepreneur? Because you need those entrepreneurial skills in this league that you're running right now. You know what? It's it's uh, you know I, we learned a long time ago in, in our marriage that that I, I used to like to plan, and every time I'd make a plan, God would change it, and, and He would laugh at me. And if I wrote something down, it was even dumber. So I, I recognized early on that that His ways are not my ways, and that as long as I stay in His will. I'll be blessed. I've been fired so many times, it's embarrassing. But I've never been fired for cause. I'm fired because I get a compensation plan and I outperform the production. Mm -hmm. And they say, we budgeted for $50,000 and now we have to pay you $200,000. So they don't want to pay me the money that I've earned because I've outproduced the capacity. Well, that's okay. Then I go on to something else and I get a severance package and and you just keep moving. So I've, I've, I've realized a long time ago that the only way I'll ever be truly happy is, is to build something that I can do myself. So I've had a background of building businesses and, and turning small businesses around. So when I went to be the commissioner of the MBL Canada, I, I, I knew I could do it. And, and it is off-putting when you're an athlete and you could put eight words together that, that, that sound reasonable because they, <laughs> they always think you're not very bright. And if you've got some reason with it, you know, you have a chance with people and, you know, your size and all that stuff when you walk in a room, you command a certain amount of respect. And for me, having a self-deprecating sense of humor helps because it disarms people. They, they don't think I think I'm better than them because I was someplace because, quite frankly, I'm not. I'm just like everybody else. So I, I am able to leverage all of those life experiences to be a fairly successful business person. Not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like the old Doritos commercial. They'll make more with money. Uh, no matter what I make, I, I, I have a gift to outspend what I earn. So I've never really had a lot, but whatever I have, I always give away because I, I, I know there's more. Uh, when you lose your mom as young as I did, I've never been a good saver. My mother and father saved their whole lives to retire. Mm-hmm. And my mom got sick and died. My, my dad retired, married a wonderful woman whose husband retired, and, and they had a great 30 years run before my father passed. And my stepmom just passed a year or two ago. But for me, I'm living today because I know tomorrow's not promised. So when I get money, I'm spending. I'm buying stuff for my family, my kids, my brothers, my sisters, whatever I can do. I want to spend that because you can't pull an ATM behind a, a hearse. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. So enjoy this time we have it. And that's kind of my business philosophy. We take a lot of risks. We, we, we try a lot of things. If it works, great. If it doesn't, praise God, there's something else that, that we're supposed to get out of that. You know, uh, if you're listening and you hear a clicking, clicking on the podcast, it might be because of that massive ring <laughs> on your right hand. Is there a story behind that ring? This is an a, a, a Indiana High School all-star ring okay. from being in the, in the Hall of Fame. When you go in the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame, they allow you to have a ring. And, and 
and this one is probably a little gaudier than the average one, but I have some ring sources for my for my chance. So so I had this actually designed. It's it's from Mr. Basketball and an All American and Hall of Fame in Indiana. And then Ray Tolbert, who was Mr. Basketball the year before me, saw it and he wanted one. So I think eventually we'll, we'll, this will be the ring of all Mr. Basketballs once they go in the Hall of Fame. Do you wear that all the time? Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I wear, I wear. When I was coaching, I would always wear the most recent championship ring as a high school coach or as a pro coach. And then I got this, and I'm like, you know, this is. I'd had the right to have a ring for a while, and I just thought that'd be pretty cool to design when it was kind of neat, and that's what we did. And it's a, it is an eye catcher. It, it gets it, yeah. it accomplishes what we wanted to do. Now, did you get that because you scored two points for lacrosse in the regional? Wow, that's a great call. You have to stop. <laughs> this guy does too much research. <laughs> yeah, I wish I could see the coach from that team because I'm still not happy with the article. <laughs> it wasn't my fault. It was they lined us up the wrong way. So you you warm up on one basket and they lined you up to jump the other basket. We had a tip play that Griff had that never worked. In, in my career, in three years, the tip play never worked except this one time. And I tipped it the wrong direction, the way the referees pointed me, and you would go the way you tipped the ball. So I went the opposite way, back pick, lob pass, dunk. I dunk, I hung on the rim and sprained my ankle all at once, only to learn it was at the wrong basket. So it was <laughs> la, the, the headline in the South Bend Trib, lacrosse thanks Mags for first four points or something like that. This is in the regional. This was in the regional oh, tournament. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fortunately... We were good enough to overcome that, but it was it was not. Hey, LaSalle's going to the semi-state. Magley dunked at the wrong basket, but you know it was probably my my, my best dunk too. Was was a problem in high school. Where you talked about your mother's faith and her believing. When did you come to the Lord? Uh, you know, it was it was quite frankly a requirement to date my wife. Uh, she wasn't going to date a non-believer, and I'm like, well, I was raised Catholic, and so I was I was pretty darn close to a personal relationship with Christ at the time. All I needed to do was a little bit more research to understand what that meant. And I'm not one that judges whether Catholics, Pentecostals, or anybody are saved or not saved, but I know for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord, and that just means a personal relationships with Jesus Christ. So for us— you know, it was more of a, of, a, of a thing that was just a natural. We were very people of great faith. We lit a lot of candles praying for my mom. I wore a, a St. Christopher's medal inside my, my shorts that the priest had prayed over when I was at LaSalle. And all these things because I really wanted to have, but always in my heart, always wanted to know why do I have to go through St. Michael or why do I have to go through a priest? Why do I have to ask for forgiveness from someone else? Why can't I say, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I did. God, please forgive me for my sins. And why do I have to wait till a Saturday afternoon at 3 to 5 when there's confession to confess my sins? So I became much more aggressive in college with my faith. And, and I was the first one in our family to get saved. And with that, all of our family ultimately would become believers. And my brother would, would end up being a person that runs a pretty dynamic ministry here in South Bend. Heroes Camp over in Mishawaka. If you haven't heard of it, man, you should do some research on that because Pat Magley is doing some fantastic stuff over there. And you're doing fantastic stuff with the TBL. 10-3 to 3 tomorrow at Washington High School, the Combine. Um, who are you looking – how many do you think will show up? Well, I mean, we've had as many as 50 or 60 before. I'm, I'm guessing, you know, 20 to 30 will show. We're pretty early. Typically – these combines really pick up after July because there's a couple weeks in Vegas and the NBA okay. has. And everybody goes out there, aspiring players, to try to get jobs in Europe. Most of those jobs are already filled. They don't know that. So after that, 
we have dozens of kids looking for jobs in. So July, August are bigger combines. This will be a smaller combine. I look specifically for guys that know how to play. My favorite stat of the last 50 years was when Clay Thompson scored 61 points and dribbled less than 10 times. When he, when he, I mean, when he had the ball in his hands less than a minute. That means he knows how to move without the ball, catch and shoot. I mean, the way we learned how to play. Then on the other side of that, you've got Fear the Beard, James Harden, who dribbles as many times as the entire starting lineup as Golden State a year or two ago in one yeah. game. The difference of what basketball has devolved to. So I look for guys that know how to play. Can you? If I say run to the corner so we can spread it and then catch and shoot before you do anything else, do you do that? Do you listen? What's your acumen? Do you play hard? If you lose, are you blaming your teammates or do you step it up? All the things we're looking for. So I look for some character assessments and some skill sets. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at it. I'm pretty good at picking talent. I, I think I figured that out. And, and occasionally I miss. So there's a kid that will sneak into my league that I've seen that says, I was at your combine and you didn't pick me. And I'm like, oh, praise God for you. You showed me wrong. That's awesome. But for the most part, I'm pretty accurate. And, and I know what, what these coaches look for because it's rare that they find a star. They find role players at these combines. Sure. They'll, they'll find a guy at Purdue as a star or IU as a star. But, you know, the guys that played at Bethel and these other places, they're, they're, they're just role players that are going to fit. And then they become pros, and then they can become a star because they've got not – you know, everything is equal. Your resumes go away when you cross that court. So once you're on the court, they don't care where you play. Our best player a couple years ago was a D3 kid that could jump out of the gym. He was as good as our Kansas and our Duke players that we had. But he never had that opportunity, and he was just incredible. Now he's playing in Canada making great money. David Magley, it has been a delight. Episode 100 of the Sports Shack is one that I don't think our listeners are going to forget anytime soon. You got a website, Dave? Yes, it's, it's www.thebasketballleague.net. Oh, that's easy enough. Yep. And, um, you know, we're aggressively looking for some, some owners up here in this market. And if you reach out to me through that website, you can send an info at uh, email and would love to talk to you. We think we've got some really good prospects, but, you know, it's a benefit to the community because what we'll do in the community, South Bend absolutely needs it with gangs and everything they need. They need somebody to step in and speak to these kids. And I think that, that a business owner gets way more than money out of owning this because your brand will be attached with something that, that cares about your community. So. Yeah, that, this is a wonderful opportunity. I appreciate you giving me the chance to come up and, and share with you guys. And I had a great morning. Thank you so much for that. Sports Yak! Sports Yak, part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. Find more of your favorite podcasts at Spreaker.com slash Studio DNA. Follow the Yak on Twitter at Sports Yak with two Ks. But the second K is silent. Boy, I cannot say thank you enough to the maniacs that have grown since September 10th, 2018. 100 episodes of the Sports Yak. It's been a lot of fun. It hopefully will continue to be a lot of fun. I don't know if we'll have another guest as as verbose or as funny as David Magley, but hopefully we will in the very near future. You can follow us on social media, Sports Yak with two Ks on Twitter, on Instagram, same name. You want to email the show? You can do that at thesportsyak2ks at gmail.com. Follow Chuck. He's a Twitter madman. 800,000 followers. No, I don't have 46, that many. You don't? I thought you made an announcement. 8,500. Oh, okay. I was way off. Yeah. At 46 Sports. Until next time, maniacs. Ooga, ooga. This 
is the Sports Yak Podcast. The following has been brought to you by Rabbit Wigs and the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You've been listening to Sports Yak, all sports information. All that you've just been heard has been copywritten. Don't steal any of this stuff. This is Jimmy Shorts. That's good. <laughs>